Um, if you're wondering where we're going to start this morning, it's Galatians. So start finding your way to Galatians. And while we do that, we'll start with some math. So in my household, um, I have one wife and five daughters, which is a, um, a great formula. You never want to invert those two. Uh, but that equals something. It equals this. It equals that there are a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies that have been going on throughout the month of December. Um, where's Catherine Scott? Catherine, get up here. Um, Catherine is a teacher, and she was the perfect person to pick for this. P- give it up for Catherine Scott. She doesn't just sing. She is a teacher and is going to record some things for me. So um, our young adults uh, this morning knew what this was, so it gave me great encouragement. I thought maybe anyone under 30 may not know what a Mad Lib is, but we're going to do a Hallmark Christmas movie Mad Lib to begin this morning. And so what I'm going to need from you is I just need some fill-ins for, uh, for these kinds of things, okay? So uh, first of all, I need a man's name. Someone give me a man's name. Jim. All right, write down Jim. Okay, next I need a negative adjective. Disgusting. All right, write down disgusting. Um, I need a company, a, a, a company that someone would work for. Apple. Okay, write down Apple. Um, I need a, how, a high-powered title within that company. CEO. Okay. Um, all right, now I need a charming town or city. Breckenridge. All right. That's in Colorado. Um, now I need a hard situation from childhood. Puberty. Yes. Puberty. Oh, wow. This is getting good. This is the fun of math libs. You never know. All right. Now I need a negative aspect of Christmas. Sorry, I just heard Charlie Brown's teacher. That's all I heard. Gift envy. envy. All right. Gift envy. Now I need a positive aspect of Christmas. Family. We'll go with that. Uh, I like Jesus too. We're in church. But we'll do, uh, we'll do family. Um, I need a different man's name. Augustus. Is that what I heard? All right. Augustus. And I need a positive adjective. Charming, and I need uh, a synonym with happy. Joyful, and then I need a synonym with the idea of purpose. Destiny. Okay, let's try this out, shall we? Did you get all those? Okay, so here is. Uh, oops, I was supposed to have that up. Um, so we're gonna see. We're gonna see how this works out. All right. Um, so here is the synopsis of every Christmas Hallmark movie that has ever shown up on my DVR. And there's currently one right now called this, get this, Meet Me Under the Mistletoe. I mean, there it is. That's the perfect title. Here it is. There's this woman who's in a relationship with Jim, but their relationship is disgusting. She works for Apple as the CEO and she is sent to Breckenridge to save the day. It's Christmas time, which is always hard for her because of puberty. (laughs) She's focused on gift envy and doesn't believe in family. While on her trip, she meets Augustus, (laughs) who is perfectly charming, which causes her to see the real meaning of Christmas. Now she is joyful and filled with destiny because she has finally found her soulmate. All right, give it up for you guys. Wow. You don't really know how these things are going to go until they play out. Good job. Here's the point of all of this, that we have uh, stories like this, and listening to our stories actually tells us a lot. Um, look Look at our Christmas stories, just Christmas movies, some of the favorite ones maybe that you watch, but there's a sense of, uh, of belonging that's longing for, restoring of broken relationships, and finding true family, okay? One of the fun ones around this time for us is Elf. Uh, think of Elf, right? Um, he was an orphan um, who is searching for his birth parents and a place that he truly fits. So I won't spoil the ending, but uh, that's, that's Elf. Um, Grinch. Grinch also was an orphan, and he is rejecting all things Christmas because it reminds him of what he doesn't have. And then he's invited and welcomed in. 
Think about even Home Alone. Home Alone, he has a family, uh, but he's a kid who must go it alone and find safety in his house, in his home. And eventually, he has a reunion with his family where they finally see him and don't just overlook him. And this is woven into our stories. And let me just say this, that these themes are godly themes. These are instincts that are designed into us, into the deepest part of our core. It's why they resonate so well. It's why we could probably all become writers for Hallmark Christmas movies. There's a certain formula to it, and people want to see this story arc coming true. So I bring these up because of this, um, that God made a way for these longings to be actually true. Not just to escape for a few moments while you're wrapping gifts and sort of let your mind dream and wander, but to become actually true. We've been memorizing scripture uh, this series, and uh, this is the sixth one in the series, the sixth and final one. In fact, in the new year, we'll be starting in the book of Philippians. So if you want to read ahead, just start soaking in Philippians. It's a few chapters, so you just kind of uh, can read it at your own leisure, but we'll start with that in January. But the, the idea behind memorizing four I am memory verses is that we would have scripture hidden in our heart that would remind us again and again and again who God says we are. And today's passage is today's memory verse. Galatians chapter four, verses four to six. And it says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of women, of of woman, born under the law to redeem those of us who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is an incredible few verses. In fact, these few verses pack Christmas time. It actually packs the Old Testament when the fullness of time had come. It packs in Christmas time and it packs in Easter because we're redeemed by his, by his blood. So God has revealed himself to us as father. And catch this, for all of his disciples as his children. Now, what I'm saying to you probably isn't landmark. Uh, in fact, we probably overlook the importance of this because it's so familiar. We hear this so much that we can overlook the absolute gift this is, the massive implications this has for us. What's interesting is if you mad-libbed who God is and just started picking your adjectives and picking your, the things he's like and the things he's not like, you could come up with a lot of different things. God's the one who reveals to us what he's like. Otherwise, it's all guesswork. Hear me clearly. If you don't have it divinely re- revealed to you, everything is guesswork about what God is like. So God could have revealed himself as CEO of the world. He could have revealed himself with all these different character traits. He chose, among other things, Father. How do we think of the Godhead? God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. God the Son, God the Spirit. So family terms is embedded into even who God is. And beyond that, this term Abba is like an intimate term. It's like Daddy. It's like it's like. Papa, however, however you might say it in, in your family. But it's that, it's that childlike phrase that comes with, with Father. So Christmas is a special season to celebrate family, but not in the syrupy, sweet, sort of cheesy Hallmark way where it all goes away at the end and it was a nice idea, but in actual reality, in actual truth. We celebrate this morning the reality that in Christ, we are forever family with God and with one another. So this series we've called Orientation. And we've looked at six words that give shape to who we are in Christ. Do you know why it's important to come back to these over and again? Because we forget. And when we forget who we are, we operate in a different way. We orient ourselves in ways that make us live lost. So even though we're found by Christ, we live in a lost kind of way, a darkened kind of way. There's loads of unbiblical ways of orienting yourself. I understood at the very beginning of this that the title, orientation, is a bit provocative. If you were to Google that right now, orientation, most often in our culture, in our day and age right now, leads people down a certain path. Let me point out two traps 
to absolutely avoid. It's unchristian. It is unchristian to put anything in front of your title of Christian. So Christian is a, a little Christ, a Christ one. It was a derogative term, actually. Like, you're one of those Christians. It's becoming really derogative again. You're one of those Christians? So to put anything in front of that is an unchristian idea. Let me give you two examples. There's two current lies that are devastating, in part because so-called evangelical churches are putting their absolute stamp of approval on both of these. And if you're halfway paying attention, if you're halfway in the stream of media and sort of conversation and what's going on, these are immediately recognizable. Here they are. Number one is sexual orientation as an identity. So sexual orientation as identity. This began with Freud in the 19th century, and it is not our identity. That's hitching your wagon to Freud, by the way, is is fraught with danger. But that's not a brand new idea, but that has certainly emerged um, of late. Hear me clearly. We are not our feelings, and we are not our attractions. That is not our identity. Here's the second one. The second one is country identity. Hear me clearly. Trump, Biden, or some new face that will come in the next several months is not your savior. So to include that as part of your identity is going to lead you to problems. Where our true citizenship as Christians is on a whole different wavelength than our country or any country on planet Earth. So, Freud or country, you are heading for disappointment first and disaster later. Again, easily recognizable because these things are going on all the time. It is vital that each of us sees ourselves as we truly are. Parents, one of your jobs that never ends is to keep speaking truth over your children. Uh, This is great. I'm seeing some adult children in here who have spent many, many Christmases together with me in this room. Welcome back. It's really good to see you guys. Um, It's fun to have you here. And what's amazing is it never ends. Like uh, us as parents, me as one of your pastors, I will never stop sort of just washing over your brain who you are in Christ. These are so important because we operate out of it. We're ending with perhaps the most profound and most accessible one, that we are a child. Specifically, we're God's child. Specifically, you could always put in front of that beloved or precious. You're not just a child. You're a precious child. You're a beloved child. Now, some people say some things about being God's child. This whole series was framed around this. Jesus asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Remember that? He says, who do people say that I am? And they give some answers. And what he was doing was this, that question was sort of drawing out the lies and the misunderstandings of who Jesus is. There's always this sense that, um, that, that people will have opinions and that they don't line up with God. So some say that there is no God. So the phrase child of God is utter fairy tale to them. It's utter nonsense to you if you are from a framework that there is no God. That makes sense, right? So child of God is just sort of a silly, like, I don't know, my grandma says it, but I don't really know what that even means. Some people are from that persuasion. Now, here's a little hint. Don't get mad at the messenger. The Bible calls people with that worldview foolish. The fool says in their heart, there is no God. They're deniers of truth. That's where the Bible goes with that. Others use child of God as being the exact same as being human. This is probably the most common way that I hear it. Oh, we're all just children of God. Have you heard that phrase? Right? Now, there's some, there's some layers to that. So Jesus would disagree with that. Jesus disagrees that we are all children of God. In fact, he goes so far as to say he's arguing with some pastors one day, some religious leaders in the temple, and he calls them children of Satan. You speak your native language of your father, who's the devil, who's Satan. So Jesus would would have a problem with this idea that a child of God equals all human beings. All human beings are created in the image of God, but all human beings are not born as children of God. Hence the thing we just sang, you must be born again, child of God. The crowds and poles get Jesus wrong and they still do. Who people say that we are is always going to be tainted by the fall. Catch this, including your own voice. 
your own perspective of yourself is tainted by sin. It's tainted by a darkened mind that needs to be enlightened from an outside source, namely Christ. Many live as if feelings are the fountain of truth. Emotions kind of come and go. There was a whole rationalistic period where all emotion was suspect, and now we're swinging way the other way where feelings and your experience are the absolute fountain of truth. Many live this way, but is it good? If you're pointed in the wrong direction, you're sure to end up in the wrong place. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. It's a really excellent little book. He says this, if we don't know where we're going, any road will get us there. But if we have a destination, in this case, a life lived to the glory of God, there is a well-marked way, the Jesus-revealed way. I love this because it's if we have a destination, then there is a specific path. If you don't care where you end up, any road will do. Any orientation will do. Any marker or pointer will do. And many people live their life sort of going from one to the next. But if we have a destination, there's a well-marked path. And that's what Jesus says, follow me. Jesus says, I am the path. So our orientation is massive. So who do people say that God is and we are? Who does God say that we are? This is turning Jesus' question around. He asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? They get it all wrong. Then he asked this question, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter speaks up and Jesus says, blessed are you for getting that because you got that from God. That's divine revelation. So we're asking God, who do you say that I am? And we rejoice because we can orient our lives around this reality. There is a fixed point in history. There's a fixed person in history. And praise God, it is not you. That is really, really, really great news. You are not the star of your story. There's something that everyone on planet earth can see and it is plainly visible and doesn't change. He's the center of it all. He has made it known to us what we need and who we are. So who we are, our identity is a gift to receive. It's not something we need to manufacture or maintain. We're serious about family discipleship around here. And one of the things we did for Father's Day this year is we gave a little coupon book. Dads, I hope you're using the coupon book. But I think the very first coupon was to turn in for a book called Family Discipleship. It is just to equip our men to be the family priest and to lead their homes well. And in that book, we've actually gone through it as a staff and we're super excited about it. Um, But Matt Chandler says this. He says, our identity as Christians is firmly rooted in Christ. Catch this. His love for you is not contingent on your merit. That means on your good works. That means on your good behavior, your good looks, whatever. It is not contingent on your merit. If it were, you would not have it. I do this a lot in our church, but everyone take a deep breath and just let it out. In our home, we oxygenate our brains when things are getting a little crazy. We had a plumber come uh, do do some work. We've had a crazy week, by the way. And he said, um, he knows I'm a pastor. He goes, does a guy like you, like in your position, like your human side, he goes, do you ever lose it? And, And I said, I didn't even know where to go with that. It was kind of funny. But I said, oh, yeah, I lose it all the time. Like, what do you think I am? And, and my human side, what does that mean? My, like, it's all just me. So you know, what, you know what I have to do? So I gave him an example. I said, I just, I just lost it recently. Here's what it was. And I just told him. I said, here's what I do. I oxygenate my brain, and then I help people around me oxygenate their brain. Sometimes just a deep breath is a really good thing. Here's why I wanted you to take a deep breath. There is a deep breath sigh of relief to know your security, your identity in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with your merit, with your good works, with whether you're here at church on Christmas Eve or you slept in. Beloved child is how God sees you in Jesus Christ. Not the future you, not the best God days you, not the upwardly mobile you, not the you that you wish were true, but the you that is you right now. That's who's the beloved child. 
his precious child. Think about this. There's a guy standing in front of you who not every day, but every hour and every minute needs the grace of God to walk through this life. And I would never consider with any of my children threatening them with them not being my child or somehow falling out of the family if they don't shape up, if they don't change their ways, if they don't get over here right now, if they don't follow through. It would never cross my mind to hold over their head that they are no longer in the family if. Now, here's the point. If I, a sinful man saved by grace, have that in my head, how much more God the Father that would not threaten that or hold it over you? You are safe and secure in the Father's love. Remain there. Let me ask you a question. How would your life look different if you lived every single moment utterly convinced to your core that you were the apple of God's eye? his absolute precious treasure. Think of how you feel on the best days, your closest connection with God. What if you knew that to your core every minute of every day in 2024? How would your life look different? I've been sitting with this question. I think my life would look a lot different. You know what you should do with this? Look to Jesus. Jesus was the beloved. At his baptism, what did God the Father say? This is my beloved son. So Jesus lived out of this as the core of his identity, and we can too. What would change in your general outlook of life? How would your decision-making maybe change if you were utterly convinced of the Father's love for you? Uh, Would there be a different grid on sort of how you should act? Or catch this, how you should react when things go wrong? Is there a different way of seeing yourself and ordering your time? What radical changes might come in the way that you relate to other people? What would be different in your family if you parented, loved your spouse from a place of being the, the, the beloved in God's eyes? Knowing that, utterly secure in that. I think we would be so free, already in the songs more than I thought leading up to it, the idea of freedom and sonship. That we're children of God and free is just so tied together. It's a theological point that's driven home in our songs as well. But we'd be so free. Performance trap, have you ever been there? Free of that. Perfection trap, gone. Rejection trap, uh uh-uh. Comparison trap, not an issue. Oh, I've missed the boat. I've missed my moment. I've missed my opportunity. Trap, nonsense. None of that has any hold on you because Jesus comes to set the captives free. This might be a prayer this year. It's just to say, God, can you help me live and operate and really believe that I am the beloved in you? You know, God designed the home to be the best place to learn about love and family and healthy relationships. And in all of our homes, we all grew up in some kind of a home. And one of the things that we should be teaching, among other things, like how kids can be loved and how precious they are, is that the world doesn't revolve around the children. That's a really, really good thing. I think if you've been raised in a home where it was all about you, you're in for like a real smack in the face when you get outside of your home, and there's other opinions and other ideas that kind of come with that. But the family exists for something much bigger than your wants and needs and whims. Now, the home is God's greenhouse for this to take place, but even the best of us get it wrong. And some homes get it really, really, really wrong and make a complete mess of things. Can God help you hear his fatherly love in spite of coming from a broken home? Can you really begin to experience what it's like to be a safe and secure child, even if you didn't have that growing up? That's the question that maybe some of us sit with. Stephen Colbert sums up how many view God, and in the process, he mocks this good design of the home. Just listen carefully. He says, the father has to be a provider, a teacher, a role model, but most importantly, a distant authority figure who can never be pleased. And he completes the quote this way, otherwise, how will the children ever understand what concept of God? 
pain can blind you to the truth. Friend, I'm here to tell you God can and does and will heal your place of origin. We are a room full of people that can attest to that. In fact, next Sunday, it's going to be largely just a testimony service. It's the last day of the year. We're going to look back, ponder. We're going to assess our present. And we're going to make some plans for the future as a church family. So I'd welcome you to be thinking about and giving God glory for what may have gone on with that. As Andres mentioned, come home has been sort of our theme this year. We've sort of tried to make it homey. And I think you could insert the word come back home into this idea. And the come back home would be because all of us has cracks in our home. There's brokenness and there's frustration and there's, uh, there's relationships that have been severed. Some of you already are feeling the anxiety of getting together with family that you don't know how you'll act around them. Because there's a ton of pain and a ton of heartbreak and it hasn't been mended really, really well. And so there's a certain anxiety that can creep up at Christmas time. You're still going to go. You're still going to be together in the same room, but you might be nervous about that. Come back home is the message of prodigals, isn't it? Prodigals leave home because of their own selfishness, but they also want to get away from parental selfishness. There's so much hurt that can come with the home. This is why the idea of come back home is needed, repair and restoration. We just sang this song, I'm no longer a slave of fear. I'm a child of God. How does fear dissipate? It's in the perfect love of God. The perfect love of God washes away fear. For years, we've uh, hosted the Empowered to Connect conference. It's a video conference aimed specifically at parents and educators and church leaders who are serving those who have a trauma background. So largely adopted uh, children who came maybe from an orphanage or children who've experienced foster care or are in foster care right now. And so it's sort of looking at how do we, how do we love these children well? And in the very, very early years, we, we were here. I remember, Patty Smith, you were here as well. As we began to get our heads around the concepts, we realized this is for every single parent and teacher and worker in the church. Why? Because we all have trauma in our background. There's just brokenness in the human story. And part of Empowered to Connect is this. It talks about the idea that, uh, that when there's all kinds of behavior problems happening, what needs to happen first is connection. Connection needs to go before correction. And so hence the name empowered to connect. Let me give you tools on how to connect. Let me give you one example. A lot of times children who have experienced real severe trauma in early childhood have a overly developed amygdala. Now, take your hand like this for one second. Put your hand up like this. This can represent your brain, and there's sort of an upstairs part of your brain and a downstairs part of your brain. This right here represents the upstairs part of your brain. When you can think ahead, if I wait patiently and fall asleep tonight, I will wake up and get to eat breakfast and open presents and be with my family for Christmas. Your brain is making some connections about that. This is the rational part. Now, take your hand and go like this for a second. This right here is sort of the brain stem, and this is sort of your downstairs brain. And what it does is it triggers fight, flight, or freeze mechanisms. So when you're terrified, you operate right here out of this. Someone who's experienced a lot of trauma has this muscle incredibly developed. Almost all of the world is seen from this vantage point, and none of this has been able to, to develop yet. Let me give you an example that stuck with me. I want you to imagine me and Everly. Everly, raise your hand. She was the nine-year-old girl standing up here, my daughter. I want you to imagine me and Everly uh, walking this afternoon from our church right here to Sprouts. It's about a block away. And it's 3.30 in the afternoon, and we're walking from here to Sprouts. We're going to pick up something and walk back. If we were walking along at 3.30 in the afternoon, and I was just with her, and a car pulled up to the opposite side of Branham Lane, stopped, and a guy got out, I wouldn't hardly notice. If we were walking along at 3.30 in the afternoon and there was a little rustle in the bushes near my feet, I wouldn't give it a second thought. If someone came up behind me and I kind of heard them, I might look back and just sort of like let them walk by faster, you know, if they were going faster. Now, take 3.30 p.m. and replace it with 3.30 a.m. At 3.30 a.m., I have no idea why I'd be walking from here to Sprouts at 3.30 a.m., but go with me. We're now walking along the same path. Now, track with me. A car pulls up on the opposite side of the street and a guy gets out. What goes on in my dad's body right now? 
I, it actually just manufactured right now because I have a vivid imagination. It actually washed over me right now. I would tense up. My heart rate would beat a little bit. I would put Everly on this side of me. Now we're walking along and there's a rustle in the bushes at 3.30 in the morning. Boom, a jolt of adrenaline. What was that? I'm keenly interested in what that was. And I'm now operating going like, I want to be away from this bush. And now imagine I hear footsteps behind me at 3.30 in the morning approaching me. Do you see the difference? People who have experienced a ton of trauma growing up operate their lives like it's always 3.30 in the morning. So you can never just relax. You can never just walk safely and hold your hands and skip and sing and chit-chat and not really have a care in the world. So part of connection is that you lead someone out of that fear place with perfect love. And my wife and I don't have perfect love, so what do we have to do? We have to connect them to God, who always has perfect love. That's the role of every parent. I wanted to bring that up because of this. This is just how God deals with us. God moves towards us in our mess to connect. While we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He comes to us and connects with us. Now, when this happens, it is reinforcing what needs to happen from the womb on in a healthy home. In a healthy home, every kick, every stretch, every movement in the body begins to be celebrated even before the baby sees the light of day. Then they see the light of day, and every time there's a cry, a fuss, or whatever, someone comes and tends to that child. And every time they do that, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, here's the message, you're not alone. You are deeply precious and valuable. Your voice matters. I'm going to come and tend to your need. What is it? I am not leaving until the need is met and you're calmed down. That's the healthy picture that we're to be given, that I'm cared for, not alone, and precious. Now, what happens when that doesn't happen to that baby? Other messages can lodge in there that say this, I'm all alone, I am all I've got, and I'm not wanted. So how much hurt and hang-up in the lives of human beings rests on that one lie. That message that was received intentionally or not from the people around them that says, I'm all alone, I'm all I've got, and I'm not wanted. And pairing with that, I'm not precious or valuable. I'll tell you, much of spiritual formation is really just to live as the beloved child of God. Jot this verse down if you're taking notes. 1 John 4, 16. Listen to this. This is such a... You've heard me talk about this verse. I'm so excited about it. He writes this, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. I bet many of us in here had no problem as Christians saying, I am a child of God. The same thing Lucas was getting us to say. We can know it up here and we cannot experience it through all the rest of our body. We can know it up here, but truth be told... If there's the slightest hint of rejection, this is called flipping your lid in, in uh, Empowered to Connect language. Watch this. Whoop! Your brain goes right to the fear response. Fight, flight, or freeze. I'm not wanted. I'm not loved. I'm all I've got. I'm going to protect. So anytime there's any kind of negative anything, people flip their lid. And what you can do is you can talk rational all day long. Imagine a two-year-old who's going crazy. You're trying to talk consequences and rational to them? Uh-uh. Doesn't make any sense. You've got you've to do this before. Got to warm it up. We're good. Let's get some oxygen in there. Let's get some oxygen for the parent too. Now we can sort of operate as, as, our, as our full self. Um, slavery, fear, belovedness, child, and freedom all over the scriptures. Because of sin, this is a process. You can know it, but not believe it. I have come to know and to believe. It means to walk in, to really trust that I'm God's child. I want to remind you this morning to cherish 
a gift that you already have. Some of you might, anyone have expectations of what they might get tomorrow for Christmas? Anyone? I do. Just last night I was in my daughter's room and she's like, here's all my presents for tomorrow and yours is in here. And I'm like, oh, what is it? I want to see it. There's all kinds of expectation about about what we might get. We're super overjoyed to get to give things, but you already have something in Christ and it's one of the core doctrines. I just want to highlight it for us as sort of a Christmas present to you. Here it is. By the way, right theology doesn't save you. But right theology gets you to think the right way. It's the, it's the path to life. So here it is. Regeneration. Regeneration is that God gives us new spiritual life within. That's the whole idea of being born again. Here's the second one. Justification. God gives us right legal standing before him. Because of Jesus Christ, all of our sin is washed away. Here's the third one. Adoption makes us members of his own family. We hear a ton about regeneration. We hear a lot about justification and sanctification. If you're sort of a theology nerd, you'll hear these words. But adoptions are really important, prominent biblical picture. I want you to imagine that you were saved from a burning building. We have a couple of firemen sitting in here, so I have a burning building in my mind. And let's say that you are rescued from a burning building, and you surely would have died had you not been rescued. And you just are are in a a puddle of mess just going, thank you. And your family's all so grateful to this, this fireman who rescued you. For the rest of your life, you would think well of that person. In fact, you may decide on this person's birthday every year, to throw a giant party that you would host just to honor this man and how great he is to you. Perhaps on the day, on the anniversary of your being saved from that building, you would host another kind of event where you would sort of give a speech and commemorate and just celebrate this individual. This person would be really, really important in your life and you would speak well of them for the rest of your life. But catch this, It wouldn't change every day of your life. I'll tell you how people view Jesus. Jesus is my savior. I will honor him on his birthday. I will be eternally grateful for him. I will speak well of him till my dying day. On the anniversary of when he saved me, I will have solemn ceremonies. I will have feasts. I will remember it every single year. And so there are some people, if this is you, welcome, by the way. This isn't a knock on you. There are some people who come to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. If that's you, welcome. We're open every Sunday of the year. You're welcome, any of them. You can come back. If not, we'll see you at at, at Easter. But that's a picture of some people knowing that Jesus saved them, knowing that Jesus made them right. But when you realize that we're adopted into God's family, it changes every single day of the rest of your life. For everyone. For God as well as for the child. Jesus does more than save. He does more than make right. He makes us a family. This is one of my favorite pictures. Uh, This is the day that Becky and I met Eli and Kaya. And by the way, I always ask my kids permission if they can, uh, if I can show pictures of them. Um, we are running on no sleep after being awake for something like 21 hours uh, at, at this point. And, um, and I love this picture because of this. This day changed every single day since that happened. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about those children and that those children don't think about me. And what happens there is you see that there is some little ones who are confused and scared and flopping all over the place. That's Kaya doing the back arch. And there are future parents in this picture who are joyfully expectant. So why the dissonance? Why is there this giant gap between the parents, uh, the future parents of these children and the kids? Well, it's because the parents could see what was to come. We had every indication idea of what was in the works. You see, adoption is a legal change of status. It's a powerful and irrevocable decision. I knew in that first picture they would be leaving that place soon and they would only return to that orphanage if they chose to. They were no longer confined there, but were free. 
that picture, this picture, and this moment, it's a dream come true for all of us. It's a massive, massive gift. This song gets me every year that I listen to it. We've done it here before. But Stephen Curtis Chapman, who's also an adoptive parent, writes this in the song, All I Really Want for Christmas is someone who will be there to sing me happy birthday for the next 100 years. Just think about this for a second. Among a million other things, what adoption does is it welcomes someone into a forever family that says, your day of birth, you will be sung over and celebrated. Not just on your birthday, but we're going to go big on your birthday because it's your day. And we'll do it for forever. We get this question a lot. Did you adopt? And adoption is a great conversation starter and we talk about it. But adoption is not the most important thing about our family. I answer this in a variety of ways. And sometimes people say, well, which ones were adopted? In fact, sometimes Sadie might be with us. And Sadie could fit into our family. And they go, are these all your kids? I go, yeah. There's no real need to parse kind of who's what and all that in the Lord, you know. So uh, so sometimes people go, well, well, which ones were adopted? And there's, I've answered it this way before. You know, who can remember? <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly. And here's why I answer that is because is because that's how they join the family, but that's not the most important thing. That's actually just part of their biography. Like, that's part of their story. But the most important thing now is that they are in the family. It doesn't really matter how they came. Some came from good Sam. I went there without a child, and I walked away with a child. And some came from somewhere else. So the whole idea of adoption and our adoption, I want you to bring this home to you, is this. For us, adoption is a rich doctrine. But here's the, the, the powerful part. Once you enter the family, a whole brand new storyline dominates what's going on. It's not who you were. It's who you are right now and who you are becoming. And so when people ask, yes, that is a part. That's how I joined the family. In fact, there's only one who was born, the only begotten son. There's one who was born into the family. Did you know that Jesus is, re- is referred to as our older brother in Scripture? That's a lesser-known idea and title, another family title. He's the one who was born in. Everyone else you will ever meet has been adopted in. The world is a spiritual orphanage that we are born into. We all have trauma, even intact homes that are doing great. And God rescues us from that spiritual orphanage, places us in a family, and now we're grafted in, we're a part of the family. I'm going to show you one more picture, if you'll indulge me. And this, this image, this is how every new believer should be welcomed in by the church. So if you're a member of Neighborhood Bible Church, listen up. This is your calling. This is your task. Every baptism we have, by the way, we're having baptisms on New Year's Eve night. Isn't that cool? Some night baptisms. Give it up. Um, And uh, every baptism, it it ought to be this kind of celebration, but this is a picture of Becky coming home with Kaya from Ethiopia at San Francisco Airport. And here's what I absolutely love about this. Uh, Right here, right here is Kaya. That's my son, Ethan. That's me. But over here is Jenny Cook. And right here is Tori in the corner. That little tiny face, that's Sadie. And here's Cassie's head. And what's amazing about this picture is this reminds me, I, you see this and you just go, the immediate welcome that says you're here and you're ours forever. Church, that's how it ought to be when every single person is rescued from spiritual darkness into the light, from the world's orphanage into the family of God. Do you know how much help Kaya was in the beginning? Nada, Nothing. Absolutely nothing but work. But you know what? We welcomed her. We welcomed her in, and she's grown into an amazing daughter. Love you, Kaya. All right. So, very quickly, as God's kids, let, let, me, let me read one verse for you. Just jot this down. Ephesians 5, 1, so great. Therefore, be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. Now, if we had just that type A driven CEO types, you're like, got it. I'm on it. And you would just go to town on charts and teams and vision strategy meetings and all of that. 
Therefore be imitators of God. Some of you know how this passage ends. As beloved children. That as beloved children is massive, you guys. We know what it is to just look at our parents. I remember taking my, my sunglasses on vacation one time and I positioned them exactly how my dads were. You know who did that? Not that long ago was one of my sons. I was reading and he came and he sort of positioned his glasses just like mine. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Do you hear the identity? Like operate out of that. So I made a quick list of some things of what it means to sort of live as a child of God, to embrace it. Here's number one. Everyone put your hand out for a second. As kids, you know what you do? You do this. You receive and you receive and you receive and you receive some more. Sometimes you're selfish and you just go, gimme, gimme, gimme. And you're just receiving. So as a child of God, just receive. Receive over and over and over. Kids, you get a lot from your parents. Look at me for a second. You get a ton from your parents. Your meals and your clothes and your pets and your coloring books and your education. You get Ubered all over town without even thinking about it or scheduling it. You also get hugs and smiles and back scratches. You get your bottoms and your noses wiped. You get a ton from your parents. Have you ever leaked blood? When you leak blood and you're leaking, that's a bad thing. You got to get it tended to. Who do you go to? You go to mom or dad. Your mom or dad, stop your leaks. Merry Christmas. Now, kids, let me speak on behalf of of, of parents. Most of the time, almost all the time, we're super happy to do it. It's our great joy to serve. Now, because we're not God and we're not the perfect father, there's an insy-bitsy time time, and sometimes more time where we don't want to do it. We don't want to give and give and give and give. But you know what? Kids know to just receive over and over and over and over So children of God, receive. As God's kids, so many people are hung up on serving God. How about rejoicing every Sunday on how God serves us? He serves us over and over and over. Your father doesn't need anything. So why so serious about serving God all the time? Let him serve you. Receive that over and over and over. Out of that, there will be an abundance. There will be a time to serve and to give and all kinds of great things. Here's another one. That was put your hand out. Put your hand up like this. All right, now turn to your neighbor and give him a high five. There you go. All right. I do tons of high fives with my kids. I do fist pumps. I do, I do grabs like this. Now that my 13-year-old is the size he is, I'll just go by and just go boom, and I'll just slam him into the wall. You know why high fives are given? God the Father loves to encourage you. He loves to encourage you. My kids don't do anything special to get a personalized greeting from, from, from me. Some of you don't like high fives. You're not a high five person. You're a hugger. So let's bring it in. Let's bring it in. You ever hug someone who's not a hugger? I've lodged that. Some of you are not huggers. I'm a hugger. Some of you are not huggers. So I hug and you're just like, please stop hugging me. And so I respect that. So my greeting to you, I'm trying to greet you in the way that you want to be greeted. I do the same with my kids. If I were to walk by and body check my wife into the wall, it would not be a Merry Christmas. I don't ever do that. So put your hand out, put your hand up. God will give you high fives or whatever your personal style is. Here's another one, waiting. Kids do a lot of waiting, amen? Guys, Christmas is almost here. Right now, you're like, yes, I'm waiting for you to finish. I'm almost done. I promise. (laughs) Kids do a ton of waiting as part of being a kid. If you Be thankful you're not the pastor's kid, by the way. On Sunday, you ever have your parents talk too long at church? Anyone? If you're the pastor's kid, you really experience that. Can we go? So in the waiting, that's just part of being a kid. Here's one way we wait. Um, is that kids don't have the keys, the parents have the keys, okay? So I have the keys. If you want to see a whole bunch of adults act like children, watch them walk up to a building and wait for the one with the keys. They're all the kids at that point. The, it doesn't matter who's the CEO, who's the janitor, doesn't matter who's accomplished, who's not accomplished, you wait on the one who has the keys. Listen to this passage from Revelation 1. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the living one. This is Jesus talking. I'm the living one. I died, but look, 
I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Oh, it's good news that you don't have the keys. If you don't have the keys, then you just have to wait until the adult shows up, or you go looking for the adult to get the keys and see if we can hurry the process up. Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. It's a good thing, children of God, that we don't hold the keys. Uh, Let me close with this one. Dare to get loud. If you like sustained periods of quiet alone time, don't ever come to my house. We are not what you would call a quiet house, and alone time is difficult to find sometimes. We're a loud house. I was telling my kids, I'm going to say this point. I said, I'm the instigator of the loud sometimes. They go kind of like all the time. But we're just a loud house. And part of the loud is this, that there's lots of uh, play and laughter and singing and dancing and whatnot that goes on. Let me say this, that play is a luxury of children who are secure. Play is a luxury of those who know that they're loved and know that they're sort of free to be silly and just sort of be themselves. I love this passage in Malachi 4 too. I read this this week. It says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. Just what a cool picture of just... I I see us bounding out of church once in a while, just going, Lord, you've met me here. You've reminded me who I I am. I'm free. There's such a lightness that comes from walking with God. I want to invite Lucas to come up right now because we're going to end uh, with this song that is just super, super fitting to the message that we have this morning. And a key line from it is this. It's imagining someone who is coming back to their home around Christmas time. And here's the imagery that I want you to get hold of is there's a hallmark sing-along good feel vibe at Christmas that all gets boxed back up and put back in the shed or back in the attic and tucked away. And you hope you can recapture it next year. But I'm drawing a line this morning between these ideas of blessed and joy and love and family and the warmth that's here, I'm drawing a line behind, be, be, between sort of that, that sort of put on fairy tale thing that ends with an episode or ends with a, a date on the calendar and says, no, 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 this is actually true in Christ. You just have to have eyes to see it because it will not look like a Hallmark movie. There are layers to this that you go, Lord, show me the reality of what's going on with me being in your forever family, even, catch this, as I sit alone at church today or as I sit with people, but I feel alone. God, would you help me to know and believe the love that you have for me? God, this line that we're about to sing, that just sing, sing over us, is that we're coming in out of the cold to the warmth of family. God, help us to hold on to and celebrate you as our Father who's made that possible. Help us to rest in the truth that will never change. And God, make us agents, make us people that would not see others as competitors, but as siblings to serve and welcome into the family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.